You're listening to the Black Eagles podcast. Welcome back, everybody. This is episode 223 of the Black Eagles podcast, and I am your host, Sinan Schwarden. That's right. Live from New York City, where spring finally, finally seems to be upon us. Took long enough, we can say that for sure. Long winter. Of course, as always, I mean that both literally and figuratively as it regards to our favorite club, Besiktas, right? It's been a hell of a long season. Good news is after this match, we only, finally, only have seven matches to go. And these seven are going to be kind of fun because we get to start to see the beginning of something, right? We got a new coach, Valerian. Ismael. We finally got to see him in action for the first time this last weekend, and it was brave of him to sort of rush in and make his debut against the likes of Trabzonspor on the road. Um, a Trabzon that's just running riot at the top of the table, very clearly set to win it. So you like to see that initiative from a new guy, right? Like, why not go out there and you know, have a trial by fire, right? That's the right mentality. He's bringing the right energy. Lots of favorable press, which, you know, I think people are seeing his training tactics and the technology that he's bringing in and the logic and the sort of um, tactical know-how that he's putting out there. We all like it. It's all good. Operation is in effect as of right now. I think we're all, we've all wanted to see Besiktas sort of Move to that three-back formation for some time. We all were, we all, I'm speaking for everyone, uh, but certainly uh, many of us were very eager when Abdul Avci came to see what he would do with a three-back formation. And he folded like a sack of potatoes, right? Like pretty much within the first few weeks, he gave up on it, reverted to how Besiktas had played under Shenol Gunesh, and essentially sacrificed his vision for short-term success. And that guaranteed not only his failure, but his exit. So here we have a new guy, and he's sticking to his guns right out of the gate. And unlike the last time, we'd obviously hope for better results. Now, it's interesting for me to bring that up because who would we be playing? Why? None other than Abdullah Avji and Trabzon, right? Let's dive in, shall we? So first of all, lineups. And I gotta say, before I even do this, I'm gonna be real super quick, I hope. Because I have a guest today. Um, a guest who is here to tell us all about Valerian Ismail. And of course, I'd hope to get it going during the break. But 
I, I was sort of holding out hope for Khan, finding someone for a while, and then like right coming into our match, I started taking the initiative, looking around, found someone who's knowledgeable on, of course, the championship in England, and even knew a bit about his time with Austrian side Lask Lind. Um, he hosts the Hopeless Wanderers podcast. Um, he is English himself. His name is Adam Gipke. And he, uh, yeah, again, very knowledgeable. I had him on to talk about what we could expect regarding formula, formula tactics, formations, you know, all the like, um, not formula, what's the word I'm looking for? His like ethos, right? His uh, philosophy, there's the word. So, yeah, great guest, and so I'm going to try to kind of quickly go through this match as, you know, a bit of a preview, right? Our, this was our first time seeing what Ismael wants to, put, wants to put out there. But then on top of that, we'll follow that up with a more refined vision of what he wants out there. So, you know, we'll, we'll get a sense of what he's building us towards, I hope. Um, but so, yeah, shouts to Adam. Uh, we'll hear from him in a moment. But so quickly, let me just review this match. Um, lineups, real quick. No real surprises for us, I don't think. The three all on the back line were Domagos Vida and Wellington. And I guess the good news, perhaps, is that the third was Javi Montero, right? Not Neji. <laughs> Uh, although, again, you know, Nejip as a central defender, I think that's kind of become his position, his de facto position. But anyway, let's stay focused. On the wing backs, again, no real surprises. We had Ridvan Yilmaz and Valentin Rosier. And then, so we played sort of a 5 4 1, to be 100% honest. Um, you know, it could. Turn into a 3-4-3 quickly with um, our wings moving more forward and our wing backs stepping forward. So in that sense, we have that flexibility, which is what, frankly, what you want out of a five-man backline or, or, or three central defenders backline. Um, so yeah, on the midfield, we had John Bozdoan and Joseph de Souza as our sort of central midfielders. And then Rashid Ghazal and Alex Teixeira on the flanks, on the wings, with Mishi Batshuayi up front. So, um, probably no real surprises. I mean, you could probably make the argument that seeing John Bozdoan start over the likes of, you know, Atiba or uh, a number of other guys, right? Nejib, Mehmet Topal, or whatever. Um, it's good. It's good to see the kid in there, for sure. Um, and I guess seeing Alex Teixeira on the left side, finally. You know, for some of us, that's what we've been sort of... I had assumed he'd step in there, especially once Nkuru went down to injury. For me, that was the logical step. So it was good to see our new manager thinking along the same lines, you know, at least for me it was. So let's dive in. Again, we gotta move quick, quick, quick. Gotta move to the interview. 
So, the first real action uh, actually was Alex Teixeira on that left side. A great job of cutting out a, a sort of lazy bit of buildup from Trabzon. Steps in, cuts out a pass, takes a nice little run down the side, and then eh, sort of doesn't make the right decision. Mishibachuai is a bit set back, so I think if he pulls back across, we have probably an easy goal, or at least, I mean, who knows what Mishibachuai does with it, but... Uh, an easy opportunity for a goal. And then, I don't know, he, he instead he kind of, it looks like he chooses to cross, but he crosses far, uh, like, to, to get behind the defense. And Mishi didn't, Mishi Bachuai, rather, didn't make the run. So, whatever. But good intent, no doubt about it. And in the 16th minute, they, they sort of hit us back. And we, we had most of the ball and a couple half chances. You know, Joseph... Sending a volley over, like high, uh, but so here it would be Domagoj Vida clearing the ball poorly with his head into the path of our opposition, whose lineup I didn't go over, by the way. Uh, I guess I'll real quickly just mention Urjan, of course, in the back line, and then in our goal rather, Hussein Turkman, 24-year-old Turk on the back line, next to Stefano Denswil, 28-year-old Dutch defender. Timoteusz Puchask, 23-year-old Polish left-back, opposite Dorukan Tokus, 25-year-old Turk on the right side. Manolis Siopis, 27-year-old Greek central defensive midfielder, set behind Anastasios Bakasetas, 28-year-old Greek attacking midfielder, who was next to Abdul Kadir Omur, 22-year-old Turkish Fidam, who's Oft injured, unfortunately. Anthony Nwakayemi, 33-year-old Nigerian left wing, opposite, of course, Edin Viska, 32-year-old Bosnian right winger. All of them set behind Janini, 31-year-old Cape Verdean striker. And so I mention this because Vida heads it into the path of, I believe, I'm not sure who it was initially, but they sort of tapped it on nicely into the path of Edin Viska, who sends in a perfect cross into the path of Giannini. And it looks like they have an easy goal. And what happens is Valentin Rosier keeps him on side, realizes it's too late, tries to run and get him off. Instead, just gives him an open opportunity on goal, one-on-one. -on -one. And luckily, Giannini is off balance. Can't quite control the ball, falls over, and we are lucky, lucky. Very lucky at this point. 27th minute. Apologies for the out-of-order, you know, lineups and whatnot, but we're rolling with it. 27th minute, Rashid Ghazal um, is running up field alongside Mishi Bachuai with, I think, three defenders striking back. And Ghazal with, like, the wonder pass on the ground between two of those defenders with a little bit of curve on him. It was a beautiful pass into the path of Mishi Bachuai. Mishi Bachuai's first touch is wonky, poor. He runs onto it still, but with just not quite enough time to do anything with it. Puchask, Puchaj, I don't know how to pronounce his name, but uh, yeah, he, he had a pretty decent game, except in this case, it looks like he may have committed a penalty. Sort of a bad tackle. I thought at first maybe he had gotten the ball first, but looks like maybe he didn't and he definitely got enough leg that you have to question if it would have been a penalty regardless 
in the end it's looked at through in the VAR booth, not reviewed further. It's not a penalty we move on. Supposedly there's a foul and a build up to the penalty itself, so I guess we roll with it. Uh, where are we here? Um, 40th minute would be right after John Bozduan gets himself a yellow card, a free kick that's sort of deep set. Rashid Ghazal on the right side sends it up, perfectly placed onto the head of Domagoj Vida, and ah, it's just not quite enough oof, you know, not quite enough juice on it. Um, Urjan gets to it, knocks it out of bounds. Probably should have caught it, but whatever. Uh, and still, so it's nil to nil. 44th minute. And I actually, I, I only saw this in the replay. I didn't even notice this in action live. Maybe I had turned my head for a moment, but right before the half, Ridvan Yilmaz, so Alex Teixeira as well, to bring the ball down, send it out wide to Ridvan Yilmaz, and they all sort of run up for a cross right before the, the halftime whistle. The ball... First of all, Alex Teixeira looks like he might have been brought down in the penalty box. Uh, I didn't get a close replay. Nobody seems to notice it, so whatever. But the ball still dropped right into the sort of belly of Rashid Ghazal. And you think he'll just have that one nice little touch and just send it into the back of the net. Instead, it takes an awkward bounce off of his belly and kind of rolls forward. Still, perhaps there's a chance for Mishibat Shuai to get onto the end of it and put it back in the net. Nope, it doesn't get there fast enough. This time it's not his fault. It's just, I think, when he's not scoring, we have a tendency to, to pro I bet people were blaming him for not getting on the end of it, even though it wasn't his fault. Anyway, that's, that would be it for the half. Still nil-nil. One yellow card to John Bozduan. Should have probably been two or three for Travis on at this point. Terrible refereeing. But we roll. 46th minute. First of all, at the half, Andreas Cornelius enters for Anthony Nwakaeme um, because Wellington had pocketed Nwakaeme, which you know, Nwakaeme can cause tr problems for almost any side. He was a bit of a problem for Rosier defensively, but Wellington just key tackles, you know, brave, standing his ground, you know. Yeah, had nothing. Mark had nothing on him. So, Cornelius would have a go at it. First chance in the second half. Um, it would actually end up being a pretty decent chance that would drop to Batshuayi. He'd take a tough shot at an angle. Urjan saves it, kind of, it sputters. A little backspin, so it's not quite going outside. A Trabzon defender gets to the other end of it to try to keep it inbound. Ends up passing it right to Urjan. Quite dumb, honestly. Quite a stupid play on their part. But the result is a weird free kick, you know, an indirect right in the box. They, they set up the wall incorrectly, which is unfortunate. Might have scored on this otherwise, but it is what it is. And of course, of course, right? Um, to this point, I have mentioned one, two, three, four, five, six, six. No, five. Five major chances for Besiktas here so far. And only one to Trabzon. And of course, we're on the very second decent chance for them. It's a long ball from Hussein Turkmen back. Domagoj Vida was soft. 
soft stuff here uh, in his clash with Andreas Cornelius. The ball kind of bounces further into the path of Cornelius, who runs on, on, onto it. Vida, instead of further attacking and trying to get, get him off the ball, runs towards the goal to sort of like secure the back line because Ersin is for some reason stuck out in no man's land. So two errors by Domingos Vida because I think he could have been more aggressive. One from Ersin in terms of his positioning, just getting caught in no man's land. Cornelius does the very smart thing and lobs him, does it perfectly, frankly. And it's a goal. One. And we're hating our lives, right? You know, like I, I'm, I'm gonna keep it real. I am so pissed at this point because we have played such a good game. So we've been so dominant. We've had so many opportunities that haven't really amounted to actual opportunities, right? Just not getting, not getting that shot off, right? Uh, hitting a defender, getting tackled poorly. But here they are with basically their their first actual attempt on goal because their their other opportunity to Janini, he was just sort of like fell over. And they score. <laughs> no justice, but it is what it is. The next real opportunity, 66th minute. Rashid Ghazal clearly brought down. They spent way too much time looking at it, as they always do. Lots of complaining from Trabzone, which is just bizarre because it was one of the most obvious penalties any of us have seen in a long time. Stupid tackle from Abdul Qadir Almur. What happens? Mishibashuai steps up to take the penalty and sends it into the bar. He does send Urjan the wrong way, but he also smacks it into the bar. It goes out. No goal. We get a corner kick off of it, but still, absolute failure by Mishibashuai. He's pissed. Subs are made for Trabzon. Berat Uzdemir comes on for Abdul Kadir Omur, who, yeah, I mean, dumb penalty on his part, no doubt. Kyle Laren on for Alex Teixeira. Who had, I mentioned, had a few decent moments, but not, you know, overall kind of underwhelmed. As he has. Kenan Karaman came on for Mishi Bachuai. Mishi Bachuai is pissed that he missed the penalty kick. He kicks the water cooler. You like to see that, to be honest. He should be pissed. That was disappointing for all of us. Um, and then, pretty much right out of the gates. Up the right side, we go right on the counter. They had gotten uh, a run themselves first. We sort of snap back on the counter. Rashid Ghazal plays Valentin Rosier on perfectly. Again, a just absolutely delightfully weighted low pass into the path of Valentin Rosier, who one touch slams it. I mean, fantastic shot, great technique. This system could really suit these two. Ghazal and Valentin Rosier seem to be primed to benefit from this new coach. And bam, yeah, a goal. Um, our, our guest Adam will mention how the system is suited to wingbacks. And so Rosier looks poised to benefit, no doubt. And it's one to one. Should be two to one, certainly, right with the penalty, but Whatever, we, we're rolling. Um, but what I will say is that there was a fantastic celebration as well with Valentin, or Valerian Ismail. Very enthusiastic. Nothing gets me amped, nothing gets me more amped than someone who looks super angry when they're happy. <laughs> and he has that like, yes, yeah, like you love to see it. Getting real, getting going. 
Apologies for New York sounds. The city is going crazy. This is day two. Yesterday I interviewed our guest, Adam, and we had a ton of these sounds. And I, hopefully you won't hear many of them because I'm going to just remove that part of the recording, my end of it. But here we are again. I'll cut this out. It's probably worth mentioning that during the interview, Adam's like, oh, it's great. It's like an authentic experience. And then like the, the sounds carried on throughout the entire interview. And it's because like there was a fire sort of diagonally, but across the street at one of my favorite Mexican restaurants. I hope it's okay now that I think about it, but um, yeah, <laughs> New York throwing up the sounds. What are you going to do? So where, where on earth was I? Um, that's right. So, so we had, we hit him back on the, you know, right after they'd scored. I mean, not, not right, right, you know, just 10, 15 minutes after, but you know, right after we'd missed the penalty, I guess is what what is what it was anyway 74th minute Miralem Pjanic enters for John Bozdoan good stuff there um, just to see Pjanic healthy enough to play I suppose Kenan Karaman with a yellow card in the 75th minute 79th minute so Kyle Lerner just entered in the 70th Kyle Lahren is being just yanked on and pulled on by Siopis. I don't know what he's doing. It's just trying to stop play, I guess, but quite aggressively. Kyle Lahren's pissed. There's a bit of a tussle, and then it kind of looks like Siopis is coming around to slap him, but he wasn't. I think maybe he was just trying to catch his balance. But so Lahren reacts and slaps back. A very gentle slap, honestly. More like, hey, like kind of smacking him away. But. Yeah, sure enough, red card, he's done for. Giannini gets a yellow card. Bacasetas gets a yellow card. Siopis gets a yellow card. Um, 85th minute, subs again. Marek Hamsik comes in for Trabzon on his recovery tour. Uh, for Bacasetas, Yusuf Erdogan enters for Giannini and Jean Kwasi for Edin Visca. 90th minute, Atiba Hutchinson enters for Rashid Ghezal, Umut Merash for Ridvan Yilmaz. Atiba gets a yellow card in the first minute of extra time. So tidy work from him there. Um, and then, 92nd minute, last real chance, a free kick from Hamsik drops to, I think it was either Dodokan's head or maybe Cornelius, I couldn't quite tell to be honest. But it bangs off the post, crossbar, we're lucky perhaps. Although again, it's a game that Besiktas dominated, objectively speaking. Uh, XG, they, they, I, I don't have the numbers, but apparently we, we dominated in that sense. Um, we didn't dominate possession. They had 52% our 48. But we had 15 shots to their 8. 3 on target to their 2. And, and it, you know, again, all the, all the real big opportunities that I mentioned, the majority, the vast majority of them fell to Besiktas. Two big chances missed for Betash, none for them. Three big chances for us, one for them. So they were basically one for one. They had more of the ball, so they completed more passes. 325 to our 286. They completed them at a 76% rate to our 74. They committed 16 fouls. We committed 18. 
they were offsides four times, we were offsides once, they had, we had four corners to their three. Again, 15 shots to their eight. We, hit the, we had six shots blocked by defenders. We each hit the woodwork once. We had 11 shots inside the box and just one goal to, one goal to, to speak for it. Um, individuals, I'm gonna probably go ahead and give my man of the match to Rashid Ghazal. Outstanding performance. Lots of just the kind of passes that leave your, your jaw on the floor. Siopis was the highest rated player, ironically. He also makes my hit list. That's right, folks. We have an official hit list entry. Manolis Siopis. The, the, I would have smacked him, frankly. I, I don't know what he was doing. It was dirty play. It was not. It's not how you stop play if you want the. You know, if you're trying to get something accomplished. There wasn't a, an injured player that needed to come off or anything like that either, so I'm not really sure why. Yeah, I mean, just bad. Bad play all around. Clearly, I think, in a way, he was almost trying to egg on Kyle Aaron with, you know, not just yanking on him to, to, to pull him down, but also his quick reaction like he was going to get into his face and start a fight when he'd obviously done something wrong. Hit list! Hit list material! You're on the hit list, kid. We hate you! Um, but somehow he's got the highest ratings in this match. Next up, Gazelle, who's my man of the match. I only give him the best top players. Valentin Rosier, up next. Dorkan Tokus, Wellington, Joseph, Hussein, Turkmen, Domagos Vida, Turkmen have the assist. Puchaz, Stefano Densville, Montero, Cornelius, Giannini, and that's it. Bacassette is just under that 7 mark with a 6.98. But so yeah, um, quite a number of players rated pretty highly in this match. Um, like Montero, Vida, Joseph, and Wellington, right? The fact that so many of our highly rated players are defenders, or sort of defensive oriented, says a lot to how we played, I suppose. There's lots of passing around. And the three-man back line really suited all three of our defenders. So, certainly a positive. Now, that's it. I've done my stats. You've gotten your taste for what we looked like in game number one with Valerian Ismail. Now, let me hand the mic to our guest, Adam Gipke of the Hopeless Wanderers podcast, to tell us a little bit more about what we can expect. So with me today, uh, as I've already mentioned uh, in my build-up in the podcast, Adam Gibke of the Hopeless Wanderer podcast, live from the UK, from Wickham. Is that is that accurate? Yeah, close, close enough. I'm in a place called Aylesbury, but yeah, not too far from Wickham. It's about half an hour's drive, so yeah, quite close by. Nice. Uh, and so, you know, I've got Adam on to talk about, obviously, the big news for our club which is the hiring of Valerian Ismael, which is just a fantastic name, by the way. <laughs> it's like out of Game Exotic, of Thrones. Exotic, isn't it? Exotic ball um, manager. <laughs> uh, but so, yeah, you happen to know quite a bit about the manager. And in fact, like you, yeah. from our conversation, it seems like know even some of the background, some of the smaller clubs and leagues he's been, been with. So I guess yeah. real quickly, let me just hand over the mic to you and like what is your 
impression of the manager uh like generally mm. speaking you know is he underrated overrated uh yeah. you know like misunderstood you know <laughs> and and like you know what what about his history kind of stands out for you what are you yeah yeah etc etc i think you've kind of summed it up there's a kind of mixture of unknown some people rate him some people don't um and i think what i'll do for your listeners benefit is take you back to his playing style so when i first got to know Belaran ishmael which was when he was a defender for crystal palace um at the time he was a uh, record signing for them um only appeared 13 times so he didn't have much time to uh, make an impact but i know the crystal palace fans really raved about him at the time um, but the one thing that's quite distinctive about him was he was a no-nonsense kind of central defender, got pace on him, he's very good at the aerial kind of challenges. And I think that sums up potentially a bit of his style and what he's going to bring to Besiktas. Um, obviously, what he's more known for during his playing career was his time in Germany. Um, so he spent time at Werder Bremen but also at Bayern Munich which yeah. a lot of people seem to forget about um, and I think that's possibly the mouldings of him is that he got to see a different kind of style of football for example in Germany um, got to experience the Bundesliga and the philosophies of the Bundesliga definitely have rubbed off on him um, so obviously went into retirement but he spent a lot of time in Germany in terms of going through those development squads so he spent time at Wolfsburg too um, but also spent time at Nuremberg for example came back for a period of time at Wolfsburg before I suppose he started to become his own coach and where he made a name for himself was with Lask who are the Austrian side at yeah. the time wasn't a lot of expectations about him and from there onwards, he started to build his reputation of like kind of counter-attacking but direct football. Um, and that's the thing that I would say kind of gear yourselves up for is he's all about high intensity in terms of the press, um, making sure that those creative elements are able to be free to an extent, but in a structured manner, I suppose. Um, mm -hmm. And he obviously, we were speaking offline about the formations and he does like to mix it up a bit, which... I suppose to a fan is nice to hear because you're not stuck with plan A, for example. Right. Yeah. Um, might get to an extent where you might go, this is kind of predictable. We know this is going to happen. But at the same time, he is trying to think outside the box. And I don't think he is necessarily bad in terms of the style. I think this is the thing that I would definitely say is that direct football in terms of a footballing fan kind of perspective is kind of seen like an antichrist but actually there is a different way of playing football right and sometimes like the direct style of football gets you results right at the end of the day if you're a Besiktas fan that has been crying out for results then your man is here Belaran Ishmael will develop those players he will get you playing in a certain manner um, and I think he just needs certain criteria to kind of build a team. Now, when he did go into Barnsley at the time, there was a bit of a, I suppose, question mark about what could he bring to Barnsley because Barnsley were traditionally a side that struggles in the championship, barely gets beyond sort of 17th, 18th in the league sometimes. Um, one of the lowest budgets um, until Wickham made it um, that one season and I got to see them play and... <laughs> With Vela on Ishmael, you have to say he definitely had a good impact on Barnsley. His record really was 
you know, phenomenal. He took our over Struber, who has obviously moved on to New York Red Bull. And um, yeah, he seemed to develop that team into an even more impactful side because under Struber, they'd done really well, like phenomenally well to even stay up in the championship. But he kind of gave them a new emphasis in terms of platform, allowing players like Alfie Moet, who um, moved on with him to West Bromwich Albion. Um, but then he brought in like players like Dow DK, who had a real big impact in terms of Barnsley's season. And they were so unlucky in terms of just missing out in the playoff matches because um, I think teams didn't really like playing against Barnsley. This is the good thing about what Villa and Ishmael had installed into that team. It made it really hard for opposition to really guess, I suppose, to an extent what they were going to expect. So, again, from a Besiktas point of view, you want to kind of be like not predictable at times um that said obviously everyone's going to look at his record at west bromwich albion and go yeah that doesn't look too pretty and how the hell has he come from english championship to a prime turkish side so that's the main thing that i suppose a lot of people will have question marks for me i think you've got to look deeper beyond that so when you look at stats going into that christmas period um with Ishmael in charge, they had, for example, the, one of the best in terms of getting uh, crosses into the box. They were very direct, had good possession stats, for example. They were quite tight at the back as well. So although they may have lost games, they were only by the odd goal here and there. What was lacking was at the other end. They really didn't have a striker. Um, ironically, in January, he bought in DK. Um, and then within 40 minutes of his debut, he got injured. Um, so that pretty much screwed him up because by then, like, the fans were on his back. They didn't like his style of football by the end of it. They gave him time initially because, you know, it's a huge rebuilding phase at West Bromwich <clears throat> Albion. They just got relegated from the Premier League. They had been mismanaged to an extent by previous managers. I think the board got it wrong initially by getting rid of Slav and Bilic. But let's put that to the side for a minute. Ishmael's <laughs> been brought in, you know, a huge sense of, you know, I suppose enthusiasm about what he could do because they saw what he could do at Barnsley and they said, well, he's done that at a fraction of our budget that we're giving him. So they thought, you know, good things. And certainly for the first few matches that I did see West Bromwich Albion in the championship, you know, they were tearing teams apart. But the things that came out of West Bromwich Albion's fans' mouths was the fact that, do you know what? He's actually got us a plan B. He's got us a plan C. If something doesn't work, then he's trying something different. And that's something that they really appreciated. But ultimately, like I'm going to allude to, is that he needed a goal scorer and that ultimately cost him the role. So I think there's a lot of positives to take out of it. Yes, there's probably things that he's probably learned from that experience at West Bromwich Albion as well. Um, but a lot of positives. I think he's a really up and coming you know, manager. He was talked about potentially as a Crystal Palace manager before Vieira got the role. And I think that kind of says a lot about him that, you know, there was admirers from above uh, in terms of, you know, teams above his level. And I think he's got a good network. So it seems like, you know, he's going to get some really hidden gems potentially. So even if he has got like a tight like sort of budget, like at Barnsley, he can still bring in some decent players with him, attract them, get them playing in a certain style. And you never know, like... Besiktas might be knocking on that door next season. So I think there's high hopes, definitely, from my point of view. Yeah, no, that's all great. And I think um, 
the latter point you made about how he's sort of worked I wouldn't say wonders, right? But he's he's done mm-hmm. a lot with a little. And I think that's a key component of like you know, historically Besiktas was a side that would overpay for older, you know, kind of a retirement mm-hmm. club type thing. And as the Turkish league's quality has evolved generally, but the bigger clubs have been more impacted by like, you know, financial fair play mm-hmm. and and sort of decades of mismanagement and, and debt accumulation they've had to become way more creative in, in how they approach the transfer windows um you know far more mm. focused on on younger players younger turks from abroad like especially the, from germany yeah. there are a lot of um german-born turks you know that they can kind of snipe um but then also like folk like especially Besiktas has done this you know looking internally developing kids mm. in the academy and it seemed like um, Ismail had shown a, maybe not like a proclivity, but certainly like he has something of a track record with working with young kids. He doesn't look at age as much as he looks at like work rate and, mm-hmm. you know, fitness levels right there, ability to run a lot. It seems like that's something he, he puts a high value on. Yeah. Um, sort of along the lines of what you were saying in that regard too, and I guess we'll talk more about tactics now. Yeah. And formations but like I don't know if you've seen but so that the five substitute rule has come into effect and mm-hmm. now they're they're extending it out right which we were yeah. talking about the the crazy right before we started recording we we're talking about the crazy <laughs> fixture levels and how you know yeah. how many games people are playing and how many more injuries so I mean that's a positive thing generally speaking I, I suppose in that regard but also I was thinking about how certain managers and I didn't mention this before we started um, certain managers could benefit more from that rule than others, and right guys who play a more up tempo, you know, who, who demand more of their players, ask for them to run more, they could actually yeah. really stand to benefit from the from the sort of extension of the five sub rule. Um, but so, like with that said, anyway, that's not necessarily something for you to to back up or not. But I mean, wh- what what more do you have to say regarding his tactics, you know, formation and all that? Yeah, if I just quickly allude to your last point then, um, it's interesting that you said that because I can remember one game during the kind of COVID lockdown season in the UK and what Ishmael did very cleverly when the rule was there for five subs was he'd bring in like two players at half time just to kind of ensure the intensity was there. So Mm -hmm. from the very off, he'd ensure that the team was camped in the opposition's half. And there was one game where within, I think it was about 40 seconds of kickoff, they scored, Um, (laughs) which goes to show you, like he has got the tactical brains that if there is the five sub rule, then he would definitely use it to his advantage. Um, So let's talk about his tactics. So he does tend to favor a 3-4-3 formation or a 3-5-2 formation or a 5-3-2. Um, so he does mix it up, I suppose, to an extent, depending on how he sees the game playing out. Um, he tends to favour kind of a really just ensuring that the midfield is packed in, um, that they can retain possession quite quickly and then get the wing backs or wingers potentially to really create those opportunities for the front men. Um, 
he tends to obviously look at a very direct target man. So someone that's very strong, able to hold up the ball, but equally has pace on them, which is where DK was obviously bought in. Um, but he had a player by the name of Carlton Morris at Barnsley, which very similar, maybe a bigger physique, um, but he certainly was one of those kind of battling rams, for example, that defenders didn't really like playing against. So again, he kind of traditionally goes for those kind of style of players up the top. Um, mm. But equally at the same time, he has nippy players, players that have got pace to burn, for example. So he had a winger at Barnsley called Callum Stars, for example, that did a really good job. Um, latterly, when he was at West Bromwich Albion, he had a very good uh, right winger by the name of Darnell Furlong, for example, that would really just go from the bylines and just every time want the ball at his feet so he could ping in a ball into the box. So, yeah, he, he does rely on those wingers to Let really Let me step create... in real quick because this is actually uh, an interesting point that I think for Beshik Touch fans will be important. Um, a lot of question has gotten... So, you know, you mentioned he likes to operate with those wing backs coming forward and... Mm. On the one hand, I think it concerned fans of Besiktas because, like, you could probably say that our best player this season, and it hasn't shown statistically because of a certain striker wasting a lot of opportunities, but um, Rashid Ghazal has been, mm. I mean, really, he's been a delight for us <laughs> for much of the yeah, year. He's been imagine. fun to watch. Um, and so there's been some concern, like, what would Ismail's system do to his role as a right winger? especially with mm -hmm. the wing-back scenario. Now, last season, they operated better when they were kind of, you know, when our right-back would do sort of these overlapping runs with Gazal on the right side. So, I mean, mm -hmm. certainly there's room for both of them to operate, and I think if Ismail is able to work with wingers too, I, I mean, I guess, yeah, this this is promising. This is what we want to hear as Special Touch fans. Yeah, no, definitely. I was going to say, he, I think he will get the best out of Gazelle in the sense of, he might get him to learn a bit more of the defensive duties, perhaps, um, depending, I suppose, on the opponent. And this is the critical part. And I think this is the big thing to kind of say he will utilize all the players that are at his disposals, um, but also the players that will buy into his philosophy. So that's the most important thing. I never heard about a story of him isolating a player because they didn't agree with him. Um, certainly he would rotate players. But never did I hear at Barnsley or West Bromwich Albion that they didn't like him as a coach or manager, for example. So I think this is the important thing to kind of say is that he seems to get the players on board very early on. He kind of tries to embed them into what he wants them to achieve on the pitch. Um, and I think obviously, like I am trying to allude to, is he talks about having players that are creative on the wings to do their business in terms of, you know, be the creative force within the team. However, having said that, um, at Barnsley, for example, and a player that he did bring to West Brom was Alfie Moet, who was kind of your driving force from the middle of the pitch. And what was interesting about Moet was he likes to have the ball at his feet. So I could see uh, Pjanic, for example, potentially if we were to use the current Besiktas squad as being that pinnacle to kind of dictate the ball, dictate where it goes. And he likes that, someone that is creative in the middle of the park as well. They don't have to be battering rams in terms of tackling and getting in the blocks, for example, and, you know, getting those second balls all of the time. 
Um, but it is important to kind of stress out that, yeah, he will analyse against the opposition that he's facing and understand where the weaknesses are. He does use data a lot, but he doesn't always necessarily rely on that. He will like anticipate what he can see on the pitch as well. Um, so from my point of view, yeah, he's got an all-rounded approach. Um, certainly when I'm talking about 3-4-3, for example, then there is a bit more emphasis into that tacking pressure. So, yeah, even though 352 uh, might seem like the ideal formation for that kind of approach, when you're seeing him line up as a 3-4-3, that's either him trying to chase a game, for example, or he's trying to impose himself. I saw it a few times in the championship where he imposed himself in terms of ensuring that the ball was always in the opposition half. Mm. Um, but the other thing, if we're talking the other side of the game, so defensively, you always can associate the sides being quite tight, very hard to beat, um, you know, in terms of set plays, always, you know, really safe. You know, you didn't see too many goals being conceded from defensive set plays. If anything, it would be more open play goals, for example. So, I mean, that's got to be a, a slight positive. I appreciate it's never positive if they're conceding goals, right? But ultimately, if you're talking about a manager that's going to potentially instill a good philosophy be strong at back but counter-attack or potentially attack when needed i think the interesting thing will be the intensity part because i appreciate the conditions in turkey are slightly different to say uk for example so you know it's a bit colder in uk um mm. so how are those players going to cope in that kind of intensity in that kind of condition so it might be slightly different in the turkish league however having said that he'll make sure that the squad is super fit and i think if there is anyone that is going to be i suppose lackluster in terms of performance he'll drag them off so i think he's not afraid to make those decisions equally um mm -hmm. but i think the key thing to kind of allude to is He's going to utilise the players that is at his disposal and potentially build a really interesting squad. So I'd be really fascinated to see what kind of players he brings in as well, ultimately, because he's got an extensive network in abroad, primarily in Germany. As he alluded to, there may be a few Turks there as well that might want to escape back into Turkey as well. So that'd be very interesting to see kind of the hidden gems that he could maybe attract as well, because I think that's maybe some of the things that may elude uh, some people's opinions of Ishmael is they don't think maybe he's as shrewd in the transfer market, but certainly from what he bought to Barnsley, I don't think he got a fair chance at West Bromwich Albion. Um, and I think over time he could build a really good squad at Besiktas. Yeah, I mean, and I, and I think he, you know, he's in a position where he can probably request a couple key guys, you know, and, and obviously it depends what we, you know, with FFP, mm. what we can offload as well. But I mean, already he's kind of drawn a line in the sand as far as asking for certain effort from guys. And so you've had quite a few guys buy in and of course it's still the honeymoon period right but like you yeah, you exactly. see the the kind of guys with that reputation as warriors and whatnot who are obviously just 100 percent buying in um you know our first result yesterday was a draw against trabzonspor who are like quite thoroughly ahead yeah, of everyone result. and we were by far the better side you could also say mm -hmm. um so it was a very promising start and already we saw a lot of the stuff you're talking about um, now, I guess the only question mark I have regarding tactics left over is, like, where do you see his, like, his teams, do they need the ball a lot? Um, are they going to be holding the ball much, or are they going to be, 
you know I think this is the fascinating thing about Ishmael is they don't necessarily have to have the ball a lot um, but he I suppose when it comes to the high intensity press that's where they can really make teams suffer because as soon as they've got the ball then they are going to be in their face um, but equally you know they will retain the ball quite well so I think it's a combination like I say it depends on the side and where he sees the weaknesses to be sometimes he'll play it direct sometimes it's all about possession based to an extent um, but they like to get the ball quickly to the offensive third I suppose is the right phrase to kind of say so they won't necessarily kind of have Barcelona-esque tippy-tapper like yeah. style of football all of the time um, but I think you're starting to see this kind of trend come into Europe anyway because I don't know if you've seen maybe a bit of Barcelona and Xavi I'm sure, sure. you reminisced about uh, Galatasaray's result recently where they lost um, but I'm starting to see a bit more of a directive style of football from Xavi for example and I'm starting to see that in general with football where I suppose the tippy-tappy kind of style of football is nice on the eye, but actually directly when we're talking about results and what it can get you, it's not more than just pleasing on the eye, right? It's all about trying to win the match. And I think you're starting to see a ruthlessness come into the game. So, yeah, I suppose it goes back to Mourinho-esque style of football, right? But right, right. it's a bit more attractive on the eye, should we say. So I think there's a bit more intent a bit more directness in terms of style but yeah it's going to be very much i feel like what you'll get at Besiktas is I, I think there'll be a combination of get the ball to creative people let them play one twos or potentially moves that will generate like maybe pressure for your opposition and then you'll get your forwards that will do the pressing that will push the whole team up um certainly i think if you've seen a bit of maybe inter milan this season with Inzaghi, for example, you've almost got the three centre-backs playing into midfielders. So they're kind of really doing the midfielders' role and then you've got midfielders doing the supporting role for the attackers. Mm -hmm. So you're almost kind of maybe seeing that mimic. And I, I, I saw it, ironically, at the last Euro, should I say, where a lot of teams were playing three centre-backs, but they were ball-playing centre-backs, for example. So I think you'll get very kind of similar ethos with Ishmael. Um, mm -hmm. And maybe that might be the best way. I don't know if that's good news for Besiktas fans, but it certainly is. I think that that's the one thing I would say is that he will try and play to win games in an attractive manner at times as well. That's great. No, I mean, and what's especially heartening for a lot of us is just seeing the three defenders back there and that we're less prone to sort of gaffes mm. on the counter, right? It's been, yeah, I think, like a decade almost of like, all the right pieces being there, but still, you know, you have like that one sort of weak link on the back line, and because of that, you just get hit on the counter. That it's, all it takes is that one chance. You know, you if you if you can't build up a good solid lead, and then bam, like the game's ripped it wide open, and um, you know, then like the emotion comes into it, and you have the guys, you know. Yeah. So like, it's already we saw yesterday the benefit of having the three guys back. Um, you know, where if one guy slips up, you have another guy to come back and cover for him, right? It's 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 been pivotal, mm. <laughs> um, even in the one match, because Trabzon is a really dangerous side in that regard. And their only goal was, it wasn't on a counter, it was sort of, uh, I mean, it was a weird play, honestly. It was like a, it was a bit of weak <laughs> defending by Vita. But, um, but to like kind of corroborate what you've already said, too, our goal was... Uh, it was our right back, so you know. Speaking of the wing back mm -hmm. action you mentioned, getting um, 
hooked up by Gazal on the right side. So, you know, that, you know, the guy with the ability, with the nice one-two pass, finding Rosier sort of flanking mm-hmm. him on the wing and cutting in and making a nice move and scoring. So everything you've talked about, right, like giving creative players the freedom to to do, to sort of make that, that move and then as, as well, like mm. incorporating the wing backs and having them come forward and all, all of that happened <laughs> on the one That's play. good. That's good to hear. I mean, I didn't even allude to transitional play, but that is essentially what he'll do is transitioning from that attacking base to a defensive base to potentially a bit of both, for example. So mm-hmm. I think that's what you'll see a lot of with Ishmael. He'll learn or try and establish that kind of style um, where... When you don't have the ball, what do you do as a team, not just as an individual? Um, but importantly, when you do attack, the methods of how you attack. And I suppose more, and this is the thing that I'm starting to appreciate a bit more from a coaching point of view, is how do you get the individuals to think for themselves? So, mm-hmm. you know, right, there's one thing to kind of say we're playing this way. But how do you instinctively get those players to play in that manner? So right. how do you make sure that they get the right passes or the right kind of attacks taking place or maybe potentially holding a line for example because i think that's a hard part like you, you probably played football like me like sure. it is very hard to get four of your teammates to just be in a straight line at times so <laughs> you know it is you know it's easier said than done right but i'm i'm in, the in guy the in the hard, adult league yeah. i'm the guy in the adult <laughs> league who always gets who has to go back because i get so frustrated by the lack of like concentration and defense and like focus on it it's like guys we still have to stop the, like everybody wants to go forward and like show their flashy little cross you know whatever it is and it's like come on folks like we've got to defend so no i i, I fully back what you're saying um no i mean I, it, it all sounds quite promising i think you know for Besiktas fans from his lineage right like mm. you know the, the the stuff that's fed into his ethos as a manager to yeah. um to his track record you know and like in a lot of ways right lacking a striker has been what's plagued us this year <laughs> but um that's also i think right like we all knew going into next season that that was a need so mm-hmm. having him at the helm going into the window where he can kind of request a certain type of striker or whatever it might be uh if not the striker sure. himself i don't know the problem with dk is that he's now moved around so many times that I don't know if he'd be a cheap, right? He'd still probably cost like eight, eight million euro or something. I mean, I think his last I think they're was asking 15. for something like that, aren't they? Yeah. I had, I heard quotes when he was at Barnsley that they wanted 20 million. <laughs> they were yeah. just trying to cash in on the fact that there was some Premier League clubs sniffing around his services. So, uh, yeah, I think that was a bit ambitious, but I think, the fee that was agreed with Burst Brom at the time was five million plus like add-ons essentially. So yeah. it might not be a bad deal um, because DK and obviously Ishmael have history. They know each other quite well. They know what they can get out of each other. Um, equally, uh, like you say, do you think there's potentially some better players out there? There will be a hell of a lot of players out of contract this summer potentially. So yeah. is that necessarily the best kind of move? I don't know. And if you are saying that, potentially Besiktas might be tight in terms of their budget, then I think, yeah, potentially Ishmael will have to go into its kind of scouts and potentially his recruitment teams and delve into it a bit more. But there will be plenty of bargains out there. It's just a question of who can fit his ethos and who are the right types of players. Um, 
and I suspect there'll be quite a few there that will be wanting to play for a club like Besiktas. So no doubts about it. I think Ishmael is definitely the right man to build that team back up, definitely. No, and we've had a track record of uh, North American strikers, right? We have Kyle Lahren, the Canadian, mm -hmm. right? Who are, yeah. you know, physically very formidable, but technically lacking a little bit. You know, I think our fans are a little weary of, like, he had a fantastic season last year. This season, he's come out quite cold for his club, mm -hmm. although, you know, for his national side, Canada is doing quite well, right? Um, Very well. <laughs> but so, you know what? I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if um, they were real careful about not only, you know, being really thorough and finding the right striker at the right age, mm -hmm. right, with the right sort of profile to fit what Ismail wants, but then additionally, adding depth, we've been hurt by you know, over-relying on the one, right? In the same way that yeah. Ismail's last gig was ruined by the, him over-relying on, on the one striker who did, who wasn't healthy and then the whole season being derailed. That's been, like last season, we almost lost the title because our striker, Abubakar, got injured mm. late. And then we couldn't quite, like, can, you know, ma maintain that pressure on our opposition's goal that we had all season. And so it became tight. So yeah, I think we're we're learning lessons from our own experiences, and perhaps Ismail's history as well would feed into this. I I think we'll have a, a couple good strikers going into next season, hopefully, um, which would benefit both sides. But yeah, thank you so much, Adam. Um, no worries for all the info. Everyone, obviously, check out Adam on the at the Hopeless Wanderer podcast. Uh, do you have anything to plug? I mean. Give us your 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 hash, your app, no. you know your your. Yeah, what, thank what you. Um, so yeah, you can check us out on Twitter at Hopeless Pod or on Instagram at the Hopeless Wonder Podcast. We generally kind of go live on a Thursday night in the UK at around eight PM. Uh, so GMT plus one essentially in terms of time zone. Um, but we we are live across all major platforms on a Friday anyway, so you can obviously listen to us at any time so it's myself my co-host andy who's a big man united fan and always whinging about their efforts and then we've also got my other co-host craig who is a glasgow rangers fan um so we've got a very broad kind of depth mm -hmm. of knowledge i suppose between the three of us um generally we talk about european football big stories but then also about mainly the premier league Serie A and a bit of Bundesliga at times when it becomes less predictable, right? Um, but yeah, no, apart from that, uh, yeah, it's all good fun. So feel free to chip in with your questions anytime and we'll be glad to take any of those questions on board. So, uh, and we'll discuss them more importantly. So, but yeah, thank you, Sinan. It's been a pleasure to be on your pod as well. Oh, always, anytime. And I'm sure we'll have cause to bring you back on. I'm glad we finally got to do the return leg here um that's it yeah <laughs> and and please do tell andy that as much as i wish that he'd been wrong about bachuai <laughs> unfortunately he was pretty much dead on um do yeah. mention i suppose that there were some redeeming like silver lining like wonder strikes in there that i'll, that I'll have... try and find bachuai's greatest hits right there and you go we just kind of calm it down a bit but yeah we'll say you were right andy but just not on these goals right <laughs> yeah exactly show him a, show him a highlight reel and be like but on the other <laughs> exactly. hand apparently their fans kind of hate him and you were sort of right <laughs> i know you don't want to give his ego too much of a stroke there but exactly. um, <laughs> Again, anyway, thank you so much. Uh, it was great to have you on, Adam. And 
we'll see you around. <laughs> Will do. Thank you very much. Excellent work. Thank you so much, Adam. Again, follow him on Twitter. Put that information in our tweets and whatnot. Follow him on Instagram, etc., etc., etc. Thank you so much, Adam, for that great preview. Um, I will leave you off now, finally, with where we are in the table going into match day 32. Trabzon, of course, still in first place with 71 points. Second place, Konyaspor with 58 points. Third place, Fenerbahce with 56. They're now two points behind Konyaspor in second place. Alanyaspor, 52 points. Bashakshahir, just out of Europe, <clears throat> with 50 points. We are playing Alanyaspor, by the way, next. Fourth place, Alanyaspor. Adana Demir, 49 points in 6th place. Hatay, 48 points in 7th. And then Goro Besiktas in 8th place, staying in the same position, in fact, with 47 points. Yikes, huh? Right behind us, Antalya with 44 points. Fatih Karagumruk with 43. Pasha, Sivas, and Galatasaray. All with 41. So they remain six points back on us despite all the points we're dropping. But so yeah, we're in eighth place. With that said, one win gives us 50 points. 50 points is where Bashakshi here is in fifth place. Um, you know, we're still only, you could say only, I guess, nine points back from Fenerbahce in third. Not particularly realistic that we can catch them, perhaps with only seven matches to go. However, we're only five points back on fourth place. Alanyaspor, fourth place is of course a conference league place now, so we could still go to Europe. We're not out of the running yet by any stretch. We absolutely should be playing for that. We've got a great new coach. Already got us playing pretty well. Now you know everything there is to know about him. Thank you one more time, Adam. And to all of you folks out there, thanks for tuning in. We will be back next week, as per usual, to talk about Besiktas against Alanya Sport. Besiktas is hosting Alanya, for anyone who doesn't know, on Saturday, April 9th, here in New York City. That is at 1.30 p.m., kind of a late start. Check your local listings, as per usual. I will see you around, folks. Follow us on Twitter at Eagles underscore podcast. Follow us on Instagram, Black Eagles Podcast. One word. Follow myself at Sir underscore rights underscore a lot. Let's go, Bushy Chess! Come on! We can do this! We can still get third! F you, Fennett. We got what's coming for you. Peace out, everyone. See you around next week.
Besiktas International hopes you enjoyed this program.